So looking forward to this. Of course, our main reason for typically coming to Lufkin involves four people, Jeremy, Janet, and Sage, and Graham, so I miss them, but so grateful to have this opportunity to connect with you, their extended family, and we feel like because you're their extended family that you're our extended family as well. You know, oftentimes I will uh, have people ask me, what was it like? You know, what was it really like raising Jeremy and Jared and Lacey in your home? And uh, part of that is because they know their personalities. <laughs> and uh, I'll say, very similar to the way yours was raised, the way you raised your family. We had a lot of fun. We had a lot of laughter, but we had challenges. We had disagreements, we had some dysfunction, and, uh, but due to a gracious, gracious God, uh, we're just thankful that they're all serving Jesus, and they found amazing spouses, and we have seven grandchildren that we call the Splendiferous Seven, so we are so very blessed and thankful, but when you see a family like ours that seems to maybe have it all together, it's not true. There are challenges, but we have found, as I'm sure many of you have found, when you just lean into Jesus and you trust him, it's amazing how he helps us in our parenting and in our grandparenting and our marriages, in our life, just leaning in close to Jesus. It was August of 1997, and it was a day that none of us were really prepared for. We didn't feel like but it was the day that Jeremy was going to be heading off to college. And so in the driveway, uh, Jared and Lacey and Jeremy are in this big group hug and tight hug, and they are bawling. They loved each other, thank you Jesus, and they were telling each other goodbye, and uh, it was a sight to see. Then. Um, as we prayed, my husband prayed over all of us, and then uh, Jeremy and my husband Terry and I, we began the trek down to Waxahachie, Texas, where we dropped Jeremy there at Southwestern Assemblies of God University. And we stayed with him a couple of nights and trying to just get him situated. You know how that is. There was Back in the day, there was a lot more paperwork than there is now. There weren't the digital types of enrollment forms, but we had to stand in multiple lines to get that young man uh, enrolled and um, wanted to get his dorm room set up and made a few trips to the store. And the second night we were there, we knew we'd be, we would be leaving the next day, we went out to a restaurant, and it was one of those restaurants that served comfort food because we were all needing a little bit of comfort. And it's kind of interesting because I've had families say to me, well, shouldn't that be just a really joyous occasion, you know, dropping your child off, you know, not meaning like getting rid of your kid, but <laughs> they're just meaning, shouldn't that be more, it just sounds like it was almost so depressing for you guys. <laughs> It was just that we had such a wonderful family dynamic that we were going to miss that kid. And we were sad to have to leave him. But it's funny, at this restaurant, it was like all of a sudden, the young man that's sitting across the table becomes the little boy that was raised in our home. And so as we're talking, it's like I could sense that my husband all of a sudden had this fire hose of information to give to Jeremy. Like, okay, son, now remember to balance your checkbook. 
Remember, you've, you've got to keep that oil checked in the car. Remember, and all of these things that, that were good. Remember, you need to carry some cash at all times and have important numbers because if you were to get stranded in this place that you're not familiar with, you want to be able to call someone and we won't be close. And then I decided I needed to step in and give some, you know, personal, rich advice, too. So I said, son, carry a Kleenex or a handkerchief. Your brother will not be here for you to wipe it on. You know, you get what I mean? I was saying things like, brush your teeth. Girls like white teeth. You know, or, you know what? You have a trash can in your dorm room on purpose. Throw your trash in the trash can. There, this restaurant we we're talking about more than anything, son. Ah, oh, press into Jesus. Squeeze everything out of this four years that you can. One of the things that he squeezed out was a wonderful wife. <laughs> and she's, you're right, she's a sweetheart. We couldn't have asked for a sweeter daughter-in-law for, for him, a wife for him, a wife for Jared, and the precious husband for Lacey. We're so blessed and so grateful. But you know, there's, there were challenges in just dropping off that young man. But I will say that in all honesty, what my husband and I were doing is that we were searching for the, for the very best advice. And though I was being silly about some of those things, we were reminding of those things, but what was really important were the, the spiritual connections and, and about friendships and making the right kinds of friends and, and just engaging him in that kind of conversation. And if you're like I am, there's been times that I've needed advice and I've wanted to seek out advice from someone I could trust, someone that I knew loved Jesus that could give me some biblical advice that could really help me. And there's been times that others have asked me for advice and I've wanted to be in that place where I was engaged and connected to the Spirit enough that I could give them advice that I feel like and hoped would perhaps help in their situation. And so this morning, I've just simply titled this message, Best Advice Ever. We're going to look at a, what some might consider remote scripture. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Many of you may be familiar with it, but this is what we're going to do. We're going to unpack the scripture together, and then toward the end of the message, I want to give you life application stories that I see, or application life uh, lessons that I, that I see for us in 2021. So let's look at the passage together. Again, 2 Chronicles 20. Here's verse 1. The armies of the Moabites, Ammon and some of the Meunites declared war on King Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. So in other words, there are three massive allied nations that have only one purpose in mind, and that is to annihilate Judah. They are coming in. They are wanting to absolutely rid them from the face of the earth. That's their purpose, and that is their mission. Jehoshaphat, verse 3, was terrified by this news, and he begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. I just think it's cool that the Holy Spirit chose to give the authors of the Bible 
the important details that we needed to hear. I love that we get to see King Jehoshaphat's humanity and also his certainty. Because we get to see his humanity when it says he was terrified. He was terrified. But then we see his certainty when he says, but God, he begged him for guidance. And then he says, all of Judah, we've got to fast and pray to the one and only true God. I believe it was C.S. Lewis, I'm not for sure, but I think it was him that said, we, as followers of Jesus, we're like dirt carrying divinity. I love that. I love that. We are flesh. And there's times that I want to respond in the flesh. There's times when people say something to me that I just want to give them what for. Am I the only one? It's not pretty. But God, in his kindness, he gives me what I need to be able to respond in the way that he wants me to respond. It's dirt carrying divinity. Verse 6, he prayed, O Lord God of our ancestors, you alone are God in heaven. You are the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Oh, our God, did you not drive out all those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. They said, whenever we're faced with any calamity, such as war or plague or famine, we can come and stand in the presence before this temple where your name is honored. So we cry out to you to save us, and we know you will hear us and rescue us. But now see what the armies of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir are doing? You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt. So they went around them and did not destroy them. But now look, see how they reward us? They have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance. Oh God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. Just real quick, have you ever felt powerless? That's where this guy is. That's where this king is. We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. And here, if you want some of the best advice that you might receive today, here it is in this one line. We don't know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. There's another rendering that says, when I don't know what to do, my eyes are on you. That's what King Jehoshaphat was saying. I love this. He declared God's sovereignty, and then he ends with this heart-wrenching cry of dependence. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know. This king set his attention on glorifying God. It's, I love that he starts declaring God's past faithfulness and God's past promises. And it's interesting to me because for years I would read this passage thinking that he's reminding God, as though God needs to be reminded. But that's how I read it. That Jehoshaphat's reminding God, God, remember you did this. Remember you didn't do this. Remember you allowed us to do this. Remember we're coming to your temple. Remember? God, God, please remember. But as I read it in preparation for this message today, I had a whole new meaning come to me. It felt like it was 
It wasn't that King Jehoshaphat was trying to remind God. In reality, King Jehoshaphat was reminding himself of who God is, who God was, what his promises were. He was reminding himself. And there are times that we have to remind ourselves, okay, God, you are God. I'm powerless. You are not. You are able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think or even imagine according to the power that is at work in us. So we have to keep our eyes set on that. We declare his past faithfulness. When it seems that all odds are against us, we have to remember who has the power to shift it. Sometimes we think we do. And sometimes we try. We try. And there are certain things that God expects us to do. But there are times when we cannot fix it. And we have to look to the one who can. We get to look to the one who can. You're probably familiar with Corrie Ten Boom. She was a survivor of the Holocaust. She wrote The Hiding Place, and she traveled the world after she was released from the concentration camp telling of her testimony. She and her sister Betsy served God with all their hearts, and regrettably, Betsy died in the concentration camp. But Corrie was released, and she preached around the world. But it's said that uh, people would come up to her and they'd say, Corey, what a great faith you have. That's amazing. And she'd say, oh, no. Oh, no. It's what a great God I have. That's the answer. 13, as all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives, and children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them, but you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Now, I want to remind you, the truth will set you free. The truth is liberating. There's freedom in truth. But it may momentarily scare the bejeebies out of you. And I think that's where we find King Jehoshaphat. Yes, he, it says in the scripture he was terrified, but yet he knew who to look to. Verse 20, early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness. On the way, I, I just love this thought, and this is how I picture it in my mind. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and he said, listen to me, all you men of Judah and Jerusalem, all you people, Believe in the Lord your God, and you're going to be able to stand firm, and you will succeed. You know, I, I love the thought of that because I can just hear, like, there's different groups of people with captains over those groups. And so King Jehoshaphat is saying, tell the people to believe, to stand firm. It's going to be okay. We're going to get through this together. And then you hear another captain, hey, the king said... And it just passes through that army of encouragement. You know what encouragement means? Input courage. You know what we need to do? We need to encourage each other more. Input courage into others. 
I know that I need it. I need encouragement. I need people sharing good stories and life stories with me of how Jesus has interrupted their life and disrupted their life and brought about a beautiful testimony. Why? Because it encourages me. It, put courages, it puts courage in me to believe for what God may want to do next. And this is interesting. He says, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. And this is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love endures forever. Now, do you remember the passage in Isaiah 55 where it says, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways are higher than our ways. I'm telling you, I'm just going to be honest. If I were the queen of that army, I think the last thing that I would have thought about doing is, hey, you guys in the back, the, you know, with the tambourines. Hey, you guys, come on up, come on up. Hey, we're going to get a choir together, and we're going to put it in front of the battalion of, of the, our army that has all the weaponry. And yeah, you know what, you guys, that choir was amazing last Sunday. Come on up, we're going to put you right in front. And you're just going to take your tambourines, and you're going to sing praises to... Does that not just affect anybody else except me in the room? It's like, what? What? In our finite minds that love logic, it doesn't make sense. But we serve a God that far exceeds any logic that we can come up with. We serve a God that can come up with ideas and plans that we will never think of, that we will never dream up. King Jehoshaphat didn't come up with that. God did. And God told that king what to do. And I love that he obeyed. There's many songs of praise that proclaim God's deliverance in the scripture, many. But this one is a bit different. Most of the songs of praise that we see God's people praising him for his faithfulness and his goodness and his kindness is after the battle has already been won. It's after the deliverance has already been come and then they build an altar and they worship and they praise God and it's appropriate obviously. But this one's different. Do you get it? They're praising God before the deliverance. They're saying, God, we don't know how this is going to turn out, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what's going to happen, but we trust you. And that's where we have to be. We don't know. We don't know how things are going to turn out. We don't know how that situation is going to right itself, if you will. But God does. God does. And so we look to him, we look to him, and not our own thinking, not our own ideas. We praise him before the deliverance comes. According to Psalm 8-2 and Matthew 21-16, praise is a powerful weapon. Praise establishes a stronghold against the enemy. It silences our avenger. I don't know about you, but there's times that the enemy loves to whisper into my ear, Tell me all kinds of things. You're not enough. Who do you think you are? Wants me to compare myself with others. Wants to tell me I don't deserve certain things. Constantly wants to just get me to focus on self and wants me to, to focus on that which God doesn't want me to focus on. 
So I want to encourage you, if the enemy's whispering in your, in your ear, you start telling him who God is. You start telling him that, that you believe in a God who is the one and only, and he is powerful, and he did. I may not be enough, but he's always enough. And I am enough in him because I live in him, and my identity is in him. My husband and I recently contracted COVID. We had thought we had gotten through it. And uh, so we ended up contracting uh, COVID in May. And so um, I was sick. He was sick. He was sicker than I was. I, I don't know why. It hits everyone a little bit differently. But uh, one day uh, after we'd been uh, tested, we tested positive, it was about three days into it, and we were just getting sicker and sicker. And so we set up this televisit with our doctor. And, and you know what's really, it's just, you just know it's not good when you get on um, a televisit with your physician that he's known you for 25 years. And the very first thing he says is not, hello, Karen and Terry. It's, oh, my, you guys look terrible. You know, that's not what you want to hear from your doctor. <laughs> but he was right. We did. and We felt terrible. But something was happening. Do you believe that things happen in the atmosphere? You know, there, there was in our home, and we've dedicated our home to Jesus. But I'm telling you, my husband was so sick physically. And if you know my husband, he is one of the sweetest and I'm not just saying this. I don't even know if he'll even watch this. I'm just telling you the truth. He is a morning person. So he gets up. He's happy regardless of what's happening in the world. He's just happy. And I, I, I seldom, seldom see him depressed or going through anxiety. It's not that he doesn't face hard things. He does. But he's just that kind of personality. And it just makes me sick sometimes. <laughs> just to be honest. Come on. But this sickness was in our home. I'm laying on the couch. He's on the, he's on the uh, recliner. And, and everything is, you know, like making him cry. You know, he, he thinks about our kids. And he's saying, I just, I just love them so much. You know, I heard a lawnmower uh, in our yard. And I went over and I said, oh, my goodness. Mike Eisenhower is mowing our lawn. He's going, oh, my God. Mike is mowing our lawn. I mean, just everything was just so tender about everything. But something began to shift in him a little bit, and he started getting discouraged. He said, I don't understand. That doctor's not even going to see me. That doctor's not even going to take an x-ray of my chest. That doctor's not even going to take my temperature. I know I can take my own, but why isn't he going to take my temperature? And he's saying all this stuff, and then it shifts again. And he said, I'm not a good leader. I'm not a good leader. Oh, look at all these things that I could have done and I haven't done yet. Now, I want you to know he's a great leader. <laughs> he's a phenomenal man. He's a phenomenal man of God. But the enemy was coming in. And I said, honey, I said, this is more than physical. Something is shifting in the atmosphere of our home. I said, you're getting discouraged. This is not of God. This is of the enemy. This isn't physical. I said, what would, how would you feel about just listening to a good sermon online or, or listening to some music, listening to some worship music? And so he picks up his iPhone, and I'm still on the couch. He's in the recliner. And after a few minutes, I look over because I'm hearing the music playing. 
and I see that precious man just barely has his hands up because he's so weak from that sickness, tears streaming down his face, pooling on his t-shirt. And he's saying, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. This is going to be okay, Jesus. I'm trusting you, Jesus. We're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. And I'm telling you, there is something about cranking up the worship music when we are at a place where we are discouraged and we need a word from the Lord. Verse 22, at the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. Listen to this. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not one enemy had escaped. Did I mention to you, this is a true story. This is what God can do. I can't explain it all. I don't understand it all. But God is God. And we are not. Right? God is God. We are not. And he makes the decisions. And his decisions are always final. Always final. I love how this story ends. And I don't believe I gave them this last verse. But verse 29 says, And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Do you get that? I feel like that implies that when God, when he sets you free, when he delivers you, he will be glorified through delivering you. I love that. All these nations, they weren't, they weren't saying, we're, we're afraid of Judah. They weren't saying, oh my goodness, look at King Jehoshaphat and the way that he was able to organize all those troops and those dancers and singers. What about them? No, they weren't saying anything like that. They were saying, their God, the God of Judah, he delivered them. He delivered them. Their focus all of a sudden was back on a God that they knew was real, but they didn't want to admit it. But he was. So here's some applications I'd love to share with you that are there in your message map. Number one, when opposition comes, I'm going to fasten my eyes on him. And friends, opposition will come. We get to choose what we will fix our eyes on. We can fix our eyes on all the negativity around us. And you know this. Life, daily life is filled with choices. But when you are in the thick of a battle, choose to put your eyes on Jesus. We can. Colossians 3, 2, I set my affections on things above and not below. Hebrews 12, 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. There's some renditions that say the author and finisher of our faith. Avoid anything that distracts you from focusing on him. Anything. It's going to be different for me than, than you. But if it's distracting you from God, then avoid it. Avoid it. Number two, declare truth. Intentionally abide in God's word and on his promises. 
God's word and his promises. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves, like King Jehoshaphat did, of who God really is. He's eternal. He's self-existent. Nothing existed before God. He's self-existent. He's holy. He's unchanging. He's all-powerful. He's just. He's merciful. He's ever-present. He's all-knowing. He's imminent. He's transcendent. And we could go on and on with the descriptors of who this God is that we serve. When my husband and I were pastoring in Monette, Missouri, Jeremy, your pastor, was seven years old. Jared was three. And our Lacey was nine months in the womb. And my husband was at the church office already. It was a Wednesday night, and my mom and dad, and dad attended the church that we pastored. And uh, my dad had told my mom that day, he said, you know what, I'm not feeling very well. And he said, but I might as well go to church as to stay home and not feel well. Now, I know that's changed a little bit right now. <laughs> you know, if you're sick, stay home. <laughs> I get all that. But I was raised with, you're, if you're sick, we're going to church. That's how I was raised. And so as they were headed to Bible study on that Wednesday night, my dad, just his hand slipped off the steering wheel, his head went back. My mom had to pull the car off to the side of the road. And I could tell you multiple details that were kisses from heaven. She had a sister that lived 15 miles away that was two cars behind them coming into a Baptist church for Bible study that night. Neighbors that saw what happened, etc. We were called... And so my husband and I got in our car, ran out to, to where they were, and I got there in time to see the ambulance, um, putting my dad on a stretcher and putting him um, in the ambulance to take him to the hospital. And so my mom gets in the car with us. They wouldn't let her go in the ambulance. And so we get to the hospital, and we're sitting there in the waiting room. And uh, the doctor comes out, and he kneels down in front of my mom. So we knew what was coming. And he said, I'm so sorry, Mrs. Swadley, but your husband, he, he passed away before he arrived here at the hospital. We tried to revive him, but we couldn't. My dad was, was 60, which that's really, really young. I'm 60. Come on, somebody. That's really, really young. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> He's been gone now for 35 years. But... What a man, what a man, and what a, what a wife, what a mom, because my mom came and spent the night, obviously, with Terry and I, Jeremy and Jared, and the next morning, none of us really slept, the boys did, but adults didn't, we got up, and my husband pulled us into a little hug in the kitchen and just began to pray over us, and when he ended that prayer, my mom just kept praying, and she said these words, God, I can't be big right now. Would you please be big in me? And I could give you testimony after testimony of how God was so big in my mom for the next 25 years that she lived after my dad. Amazing. You, if you know Jesus, you have a big God living inside of you. Declare that truth. Three, hope is always stronger than fear. And how do we build hope? We build hope by putting our expectations in God. 
We're not going to build much hope if we're just looking for people to give us answers. But when we put our expectation in God alone, as the psalmist tells us, we can build our hope. And hope to me, it's similar to, and I always get it confused and I forgot to write it down, but it's either Psalm 61.2 or Psalm 62.1 that says, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I am. What happens is hope becomes a platform to see God to be able to see above all the cacophony of noise that's around us, to be able to see above all the negativity that's around us, and to be able to step up and see God, have more of a divine perspective, if you will, lead us to the rock that is higher than us. The rock is Jesus Christ. Lead us to the rock that is higher than us, and that builds a platform of hope to be able to see beyond what is right in front of us that's discouraging us, that's setting us back, that's hurting us, that has wounded us, that we don't understand. God, God gives us a hope. And I believe it's Romans 5.5 5 that says he gives us a hope that does not disappoint. That's the kind of God we serve. Number four, his weaponry is no match for our weaponry, meaning the enemy's weaponry is no match for ours. No match for ours. The difference is the manufacturer. I don't know. I'm sure there's hunters in this crowd. We're living in deep East Texas. There's got to be hunters in this crowd. I'm sure there's some of you that would say, no, this manufacturer is a better for weaponry than this. Any of you? I don't know. I would think so. But as a believer, our weaponry, oh, it outshines. Oh, my goodness. It's amazing compared to the enemy's weaponry. Our military hardware confuses the enemy. I just love, you know, and it's not like I'm not into gory stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm not into, you know, thinking that there's all, this, all these individuals laying there on the battlefield. But I am into a God who loves to do good things for his people and loves to deliver his, his people. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4, it says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That's the God we serve. Number five, remember, it is not your war. The battle is not ours to fight because God wants to reveal his holiness and his love and his power in our lives because others are watching. Did you notice the other nations were watching and noticed it was God? Others are watching our lives. And when they see that we've been delivered, they see that it was God that did the delivering. They see that it was God that did the transformation. It's all about giving glory to him. And then number six, my battle cry Praise to an almighty God. He's the glory and the lifter of my head. Did you notice in verse 22, the moment that they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the enemy. It may be an enemy that you cannot see. Sometimes the enemies we fight are not mortal men or women. It's the enemies of self-doubt. It's the enemies of some dysfunction that's creeped up in a, in a family. It's the enemy of a relationship that's gone sour. It's, you can fill in the blank. 
There are battles that we face. There's addictions that are faced. Challenges, hardships, difficulties, battles. But just remember, most battles, most battles that we fight will not be fought because we fix it, will not be helped, will not be served because we fix it. There are things that God will require of us to do, absolutely. Humble ourselves before someone, apologize to someone. I don't know. I don't know what it looks like for you. But I know that there's times that God will require certain things of us, but the battle is still his. When our son Jared, if you were here two weeks ago, you know his story, parts of it. It was hard. It was hard, but God showed me in that process of a few years, Karen, you can't fight this battle. Karen, you can't save Jared. Karen, you're not going to be the one. No amount of words that you say, no amount of words that Terry says is going to convince Jared of coming back to me. It's got to be me. Keep praying, keep believing, keep trusting, keep loving him unconditionally. Those are the things I can do. But I wasn't going to be able to fix Jared's heart. Only God could do that. And he did it in a beautiful way. A beautiful way. That's how our God works. I'm going to end with this passage and then I'm going to ask you a question or two. There's another cool story in 2 Kings 6 where Elisha is the prophet. And it's, and it's similar in some ways where there's an army coming against them, wants to destroy the Israelites, the people of God. And, and so Elisha's servant says to Elisha, he says, don't you see they outnumber us? There, there's no way. There's no way we can we can succeed. There's no way we can win this battle. And Elisha prays a very simple prayer. And he says, God, would you open his eyes to see? And if you read that, there they are in the Valley of Dothan. And it's a powerful story because God opens the eyes of that servant's uh, mind and he sees all in the hills these chariots of fire angels of fire swords of fire he couldn't see it in the natural but Elisha asked God could you just show him because Elisha had confidence that God that God was going to take care of this battle friends I'm praying for you today May God open your eyes to see what you cannot see. If you're facing something that seems challenging and hard and you can't fix it and you've tried, I'm telling you, you are surrounded. It may feel like you're surrounded by the enemy. It may, like, it may feel like that you are surrounded so much to a point that you, you have no hope. But I'm telling you, God wants to open your eyes in a divine way today and show you, oh, yes, you are surrounded. I'm surrounding you, God says. I'm surrounding you, and I'm stronger than any foe of opposition that wants to come against you. That's our God. There may be some in this room or some online that are watching today and 
and you say, Karen, the greatest battle I have right now is I don't have a relationship with Jesus. And, and how can I pray for him to help me if I, if I don't even know him? I, I don't even know how to reach out to him. And I've got great news for you. It's extremely simple. You know, God did not make this salvation plan, this radical rescue mission difficult. He simply says, here's my son in whom I am well pleased. And that son went to the cross, died, buried, resurrected for us to have relationship. Do you know before Jesus' death, there was enmity between God and man. And Jesus rectified that. So we simply have to just confess our sins say God I've been going headlong that direction and you're that direction forgive me forgive me that I've just been following after my own thoughts and my own ideas God I've been sinning I need I need deliverance I need forgiveness I need help and you know what he does in a second he forgives you he doesn't have to step back and think well let me consider that for a moment no, he forgives you instantly. It's beautiful. And I want you to know that he's here. And he's ready to embrace you and journey with you. And so is this church. This church will journey with you after you make that decision. And it will be powerful. It will be wonderful. And besides that, perhaps there's some of you here that you feel surrounded and maybe it's not so much that you feel surrounded by a God who loves you, who cares for you, who's crazy about you, because you can't see him, because the battle is raging. So I just want to encourage you, if that's you, and the battle's raging right now, and you just don't know what to do, just put your eyes on him. When we don't know what to do, we put our eyes on him. So I want to pray for you, and then... Pastor Cody is going to lead us in a song. God, I just thank you so much that you are here of a truth, that your word is true. And God, that you give us your word to learn life lessons that make a difference for us in this very moment. God, for those that are here at this campus or perhaps the NAC campus or watching online and they don't have a relationship with you, Jesus. God, I just pray as they lean into you, as they confess their sin, and as they receive you as the Lord of their life, oh God, that you will be with them in this moment. We know that the angels celebrate when one person turns their life to Jesus Christ. We pray there's a big party in heaven God, for those in this room or that are watching, and they're struggling. They are in the middle of a bath. God, I pray that you'll just help them to see the truth that you are surrounding them. You will fight this battle for them as they lean in to you and as they look to you, the author and finisher of their faith. We love you, Jesus. Let's stand. Amen.